This is Seek Bytes, the software engineering podcast by Seek.com. Join our experts as they share their thoughts and tips on mastering the craft of code. From career advice to technical deep dives, Seek Bytes is the podcast for software engineers by software engineers. Welcome back to another episode of Seek Bytes. Today, we're going to be talking about testing. What is it good for? I'm Elliot Miller, and today I am joined by William Lark. Hello. Seamus Carney. Howdy. And a brand new guest, Raul Balal. Hi, everyone. This is Rahul, staff engineer at Seek. I started programming as a C++ guy. I know I'm old. Ooh. C++, yeah, 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 yeah. Been there, been there. Today, I think we're talking about Testing? Yeah, That's well, I was, ju- I was just about to segue into that because since, since the topic's testing, what is, what is testing in C++ like? Um, when I started programming in C++, to be honest, I didn't do any testing. So this is year 2004, 2006. Hmm. Testing didn't exist back then. Testing did exist, but uh, <laughs> it, it was more like uh, people yelling at you for your stuff not I working. See. <laughs> testing existed, but it was a separate team, right, that did yeah. all of the QA yeah. and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, we, we learned the lessons the hard way, I guess, and then testing became a thing. And I think about 2008, 2012 is when these articles started showing up. And like the godfathers of software engineering, like Martin Fowler and Kent Beck started writing books and articles about testing, which was foreign to devs. We are supposed to build things. What's this testing thing? Yeah. Well, we don't we don't write bugs. Why why would why would we test anything? What is it good for? Like what? Yeah. Uh, what other languages have you used apart from C Oh, I like building software, so the way and also like being employed. So yeah, I just picked up whatever language uh, was needed. Um, so I'm not very really attached to any language. So uh, started off as a C++ guy, then did a lot of Python, then um, C Sharp, .NET, um, then gave me a hang of like learning new languages just to widen my thinking. Nice, a bit of a polyglot there, nice yeah. one. Yeah. Those yeah. were the big languages, right? Like before JavaScript being sort of the dominant web language, a lot of people were writing stuff in, um, in .NET, C Sharp, yeah. um, C++ was your like offline applications a lot of the time. Yeah. Java, obviously, cross-platform, very popular. So it's kind of like an indicator as if someone's like, oh, yeah, I used to be a .NET developer. It's like, oh, you were, de- you were deving pre-2010 probably then, mm. right? It's funny because I was in IT back then, and I, don't, I never thought about testing as being something that people weren't doing back then. Mm. But I was dealing with the, the QA and the UAT stuff on the end of um, software life cycles because everything was waterfall back then. It's like pre-agile days, right? I think testing would mean that someone didn't do their job. Yeah. And then soon it it came to uh, people's understanding that everyone was trying their best, just that situations change, requirements change. So I'm a hobbyist chef. Um, on hobbyist chef? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's or, cool. Or amateur chef, whichever one uh, you okay. like more. Hey, I, I like that. I, I think software engine is a big, bit like uh, old school cooking, where you're constantly testing, constantly uh, making sure things are mm-hmm. going right. Because even if you say, um, pick chilies from the same plant, not all chilies are as hot. So you have to like constantly mm-hmm. make adjustments to it. Unlike what people thought in the old days, like you have a recipe, 
uh, two spoons of this, uh, one, I don't know, pound or a kilogram of sugar mm-hmm. and flour of X amount. And then you put it for 30 minutes in the oven and then you have the cake. Yep. But software turned out to be very different to that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I don't know. I think uh, with cooking, you just follow the recipe. I think with software engineers, you can just copy from Stack Overflow. Isn't that kind <laughs> <laughs> of... Or, or, or ChatGPT now, which uh, yeah. is the, you know, the refined Stack Overflow one yeah, would Yeah, well, I, I don't know about copying things from ChatGPT and inputting and all that, and that's all whole privacy concern thing, right? You can't bake a cake twice, right? Or can you? I, actually, I mean, you, you can probably try. can. It's probably it might maybe might it's like software. Burnt. Is there some kind of analogy we can make here? Like the more you cook your software, the worse it gets. I hope not. I mean, like you look at chips, right? You can have thrice cooked chips. So <sighs> yes, and actually, that is the way to do it, isn't it? You parboil the chips or something, and then yeah. you fry them after. Yeah, refried yeah. beans. I've heard that you can. Um, like I've heard of people asking ChatGPT to write tests. Anyway, I don't want to get into this, like, the whole chat sheet. Yeah, thing. no, no, no. I've, I've heard of that too. It can be, um, you know, I, I think if you get it integrated into your ID, that's that's where the dream is to just be like, look, I've written all this stuff. Can you write some tests for me? So that kind of goes into an interesting topic, which is TDD. So TDD is testing-driven development. And have, it, have any of you ever used that before? I've used yeah. it quite, I, I wouldn't say extensively, but when I talk to a lot of people, it would probably be extensive by comparison um we do tdd in the grad program so usually that's one of the um one of the sessions that i run um i can hear your phone vibrating yeah in the mic <laughs> i just realized it's funny because it ha- hasn't done it on the past one it's probably because it's too close to the to the mic mm. um uh so yeah we do tdd in the grad program as part of the four week uh boot camp that they do yeah so i've done tdd quite a bit with them as like a learning exercise um sort of put together with pair programming because it's kind of like you rotate, you take turns, you, one writes the test, one makes it fail and you go back and forth and back and forth until you have Red green testing, I yeah, like it. Exactly. Um, TDD outside of the bootcamp, I've used a fair bit. I, don't, I wouldn't say that it's my go-to approach when I'm building stuff, um, but when I have used it, it's been in very specific scenarios and it's, you come out, I come out the other end going, I'm so glad that I chose that approach. Personally, I think TDD is great. I think that it's really hard to apply in a code base where you're not familiar with the code base, though. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that TDD slows you down or helps you move faster in your experience? It, it helps me move faster. Like the times when I have applied it, I feel like it's one of those things that you apply when it makes sense, right? Like you don't use a hammer for every job. You don't use a saw mm-hmm. for every job. Like yep. when it makes sense to use it, it has made me significantly faster because... Um, it, it almost feels like the code is writing itself. Like I know what it needs to do and I know how to test the outcomes that I'm trying to achieve. And then it sort of describes, like the code describes itself. But if you're not familiar with the code base, it's hard to tap into the components that you need to to make that sort of happen naturally. Yeah, yeah, I definitely hear you on that. Will, how about yourself? Have you used TDD before? Yes, I have, but I have a separate question. Um, I, I'm i just curious with how, because Rahul sounds like he's been testing things longer than I've been coding. So, like, have you found that, like, testing's changed over the time? Like, perhaps TDD, you know, could be one. Has, has the approach to testing uh, changed? And, can I, and how have you seen it change? I think so. Um, so... The way we build software has changed over time. It started off with specification-based software development, where you got a stack of paper that had all the specs, so you could confidently write starter tests. 
and then write tests to abide, and then write code that abides the tests. And now it's more fluid. So like um, previously, when I did a lot of startups, I have no idea where I'm starting. Uh, someone's sitting right next to me and just telling me stuff to build. And the architectures have changed. So a lot of uh, these uh, best practice that we talked about, like um, testing pyramid or testing triangles, these articles were written in 2012-ish, which is like over 10 years old now. And which means that the learnings that came into those articles came from before 2012. So it has changed quite a bit. And different companies have unfortunately given different shapes to their testing strategy. So you'll hear testing trophy, you'll hear testing diamond. And Spotify, I think, came up with a testing honeycomb for their <laughs> microservice model. Sounds delicious. Honeycomb. Shapes and, yes. and different. Wow, OK. So, so basically, <laughs> what all these shapes are trying to say is like wherever you see the fattest part of that shape. So mm -hmm. for example, a um, pyramid would have the base as the fattest part. That's where the most money-making part of their code lies. So if, for example, if you're doing like a math-heavy application, which has a front end, so front end is not what's making you money, but the math is. So testing that math like to the core um, as much as possible and beefing up that test suite makes more sense. If you're building like an integration application, like say Salesforce, MuleSoft, or things like that, your integration is the money maker. So you want to make sure your integrations have the fattest or the chunkiest test bed. So it kind of comes down to what brings the most business value by the sounds of it. That's Absolutely. really what you need to be ensuring is working properly. Th that's what I've learned over the years. So we also talked about what takes or what requires more um, capital investment to write those tests. But if you put investment towards your money-making bits of the software, it's worth it. And I feel like that's a very corporate thing to say though, like test the things that make money. But not everything makes money. Open source projects probably aren't making money and stuff. So I guess, yep. yeah, yeah, perhaps what you said, the more business focused, I don't know. Is there another way to put that? So it's not like test the money making bits? Like what's what's another way you could word that? Yeah, I, I use the term money making, but it is uh, what's core to your application. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I said, a math heavy application, the math is core to it. Mm -hmm. If it's like a three, 3D rendering or integration, you know, you know what's the most core thing to your application. So, so uh, kind of the business logic then, even you know, when regardless of whether or not it's we, we think of it as an actual business, when we talk about the business logic of an application, mm. you know, we're talking about, as you said, that core. So, is wherever the business logic is, that's where the fattest bit of our testing should be, is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and the other reason is like things nowadays change quite a bit. So you want like a fast feedback loop. If I'm wrong, I want to know right away instead of like five minutes later. So when you say feedback scale. loop, what, what are we talking about there? What does that mean? So as programmers, it shouldn't be uh, any surprise that we get things wrong. So when I'm wrong, I'm I want shocked. to know. <laughs> when I'm wrong, I want to know immediately or as quickly as possible when I'm wrong. Mm. I should not have to wait for, like say, uh, like in my days, it used to have a day long build cycle, right? And the so you, you would have your beers, you clocked out, and you come in next morning mildly uh, influenced by alcohol, and mm -hmm. you have like a whole heap of build failures. And all you did was get past those build failures and then start testing again, which took even longer. That sounds really expensive. 
is is that kind of where I guess the philosophy of TDD came? Because from what I understand, test driven development is more like a, a way of writing code rather than yeah. like a type of test. You're you're writing tests before you're writing code and mm. making your code fit the tests, which like that doesn't fit any like doesn't have to be unit tests or anything. It could be any sort of test you could write, right? So is that kind of where test driven development is coming from? So you can kind of get feedback on your code quicker. Yes, I think so. And test-driven in the sense is uh, keeping you uh, honest towards what you're building. Mm -hmm. We get distracted quite often. So we are looking at different articles on the internet. We try out different things, but the test keep you uh, stick to the goal mm. in a way. Um, I have tried TDD many times, and I've paired with people who are really amazing at TDD. Unfortunately, I'm not one of them. <laughs> yep. uh, but I understand it enough working with uh, people that are really good at TDD, how the code should look. So I kind of make my way around it where I once I understand what the code needs to look like, I'll, I'll refactor it a few times to get it uh, as testable as possible. So some might argue it's not the best outcome, but from my experience and how my brain works, um, I think thinking test in mind kept me focused. Mm. But it at the end of the day, when you look at the commit, you might not know or you might not realize that I wrote test afterwards writing the code. Mm. But it's always in the back of your mind. So tests right. were always driving me. So I need to write tests for this. So write a code. It's an interesting to test. Um, kind of conundrum, isn't it? It's, it's almost like a chicken and egg thing because mm. you if you don't know what you're actually building, it's kind of hard to write a test for that. Would you say that TDD is similar or better to BDD, which is behavioral driven development? I think BDD came into... Actually, what's the, what's the difference? Well, I mean, BDD, when I think about that, it's the behavior is driving my development. So given a scenario, so a, a user, you know, clicks a button, I expect something to happen. So uh, kind of a given when then is what I think for B2D testing, given A, when B, then C should happen. And that's my behavior. TDD and B2D can kind of work together in that you write your test for the behavior, but I, I think they're kind of fundamentally different things um, at the end of the day. Well, what do you think, Raul? Yeah, yeah, I'm still not totally understanding how it's different. It still sounds like you're writing a test first and then... Well, you don't necessarily have to write first. Ah, so BDD okay. is, is about testing the behavior, so it doesn't really define whether or not you're doing that first or last. But wouldn't, would you not be doing that anyway? With, I feel like test-driven development is just you're writing, you know, writing the test, but that test could still be on the behavior. Could it, it not? It, it could be on the behavior. I yeah. feel like when you work for a, a company that has pretty good um, engineering... Uh, chops, yeah, practices. Chops. Mm. That's the word I was going to use. If chops you, is good. If you work for a company with good engineering practices, um, chances are that you're probably doing a bit of BDD just by emulating the people around you. Mm -hmm. yeah. I feel like when I'm doing TDD, I end up doing BDD because I'm like, "What's the behavior I need? Let's write a test for that. What's yeah. this behavior I need? Let's write a test for that." And whenever I think about writing tests, it's usually from the mindset of um, testing the outcome. Like, don't test the actual code. Test the outcome that I want, yeah. which is kind of like the behavior. Yeah. Right? Because that, well, that's what I like. I feel like that's what a lot of people big in testing like push. They you, you test the public API, what people are, you know, or the or you know the user interface, like how are people interacting, rather than this function, that function. 
is that what BDD is? I think that if you were to ask me now, yeah, um, I'm asking you right now, yeah, <laughs> on the spot today, 2023, right? BDD, I think, took prominence where we found that devs and say BAs or business people weren't expecting the same things because what we would test in code could not be easily explained to say a product owner or product manager. So BDD started out as a movement to bridge that gap where what I'm expecting out of my test is exactly what the business expects, which is the behaviors. And then, then came different writing techniques like given when then or other cucumber or whatever else. And you pretty much wrote how the system would behave in slightly structured language. So like given user is logged in when they go to this page or does X action, then I expect them to do this or receive this message or things like that. So kind of explain the behavior of the system that we are trying to work with. So it kind of sounds like I can write a B2D style test, whether I do it TDD style or not is another thing, to match a user scenario that a BA might have written. And right. then that project manager can then say, yes, this is the interactions I want the user to have it with the system. So it sounds like with those kind of two things, I can I can ensure that and then like hand that end product across and say, yes, tick my, my test, verify that. Correct. Yeah, and it also kept uh, both sides accountable because you have something that's readable, understood by technical and non-technical. So if we say that um, I got the requirement or someone told me that this formula, which is like highly complex, for example, say a loan calculation or something, which like a certain product owner might not necessarily know the details of it, has like uh, you know all the mathy goodness, and but they they know that they should get. Um, say a 20% discount if they buy uh, an item over say $100 or something. So if you match that scenario or match that behavior of the system, then we are on the same page. Otherwise, uh, there's just uh, the feedback loop is between the organization is longer as well. So I think BDD helps bridge that gap as well besides devs being focused to building just the business stuff. So when when we talk about the different sort of tests, you know, you mentioned the the tilde, uh, testing pyramid before, and you know the testing diamond. So what what kind of sits within that? So in the testing pyramid, the unit tests are the ones that are written the most, or you invest the most time and effort into writing unit tests. Then you write integration tests, which in today's world, it's a confusing topic, like mm. integration tests. Like I'm integrating with the framework that I'm using. Should I write test with that? So identifying the integration unit is hard. Mm. And you test those integrations that matter for you. Sometimes, like say, for example, say using React, for example. React is like well-tested by Facebook and whoever works in it. So we, I wouldn't spend too much time integration testing with React because it's going to happen. Otherwise, my app doesn't run. When I'm integrating with my other team member's code, say um, my team member writes a component that needs to do X and my component interacts with it, 
I want to test that integration boundary to make sure that that integration is fruitful or as expected. So that is the next level of investment. So as you can imagine, writing unit tests, which is like small pieces of code, you can get it done fairly quickly. The next step takes more time because there's this um, back and forth that might need to happen with you and your colleague or other team. Then the topmost stack, which is the either end-to-end, -end, again, different, when you Google these things, you'll see UI tests are top of the pyramid. Some will say API tests are top of the pyramid. But basically, that top of the pyramid is the least amount of tests that you write to exercise the entire system without, I'm going to introduce a new word, mocking anything. So mocking is something where you kind of replace the real thing with something that behaves like the real thing. And even though, in theory, it works good, but customers don't work with these mocked services or mocked pieces of code. So just to make sure that as a customer, if I were to use this software, how would the testing need to behave or what quality we need to provide? So that's the pyramid. And now you make different tweaks to this pyramid and make the integration testing part bigger and the unit testing part smaller. Then it, the pyramid starts looking like a diamond because it will taper down at the bottom and two tests are still at the top, and the middle integration bit is getting fatter. So that's that's basically where. And as you can imagine, this is again going back to the point. What are you building? So if you're building APIs, you're building terminal applications, you're building libraries, the testing pyramid or diamond or whatever else, that shape might reflect that. So. What about black box testing? Where does that... Hold on, hold on. I, don't move, yeah. move like along <laughs> so quick there. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I hadn't even heard of testing Diamond until yesterday. And I'd, I'd, like I've written an article on testing for Seek because something that I found was, um, and this is great when you're a grad at Seek because you go from team to team. You start, I think this is something that most grads will notice, and I've heard the comment before, that people throw around component tests, smoke tests, integration tests, and they yep. all mean different things depending on who mm -hmm. you're talking to. Yep. Like if we have a card to implement a smoke test on an API, what does that mean to me versus you? It's going to be quite different in terms of what you think we need to test. If we as a team agree on what we need to test, then the terminology seems to be irrelevant at that point. It's like we need some test that runs when the thing is deployed. Okay, so it's going to be hitting prod. Okay, kind of sounds like a smoke test. What is it testing? Oh, it's not testing, testing, testing any other system. It's just testing itself. Okay, smoke test. <laughs> so not integrating you, with anything? What would you say, though, if I said that, you know, um, we, we shouldn't have smoke tests? Like, we should have monitors, but we shouldn't actually have tests that run against production as a smoke test. What would you say to that? I don't know. I mean, we, we've just recently started adding end-to-end -end tests to va validate uh, across our domain that our systems are actually hooked up and connected correctly. Um, so, I mean, I'm in favor of it, having tests that are actually running in production, um, but I've also been on the painful side of things where you have uh, a long-lived end-to-end service that's just hitting your system constantly and it'll just, someone deployed something and it happened to hit it at the right time, happens to throw an error, that kind of thing. Um, so it can be misleading. I think I'm not a fan of anything that's flaky. You were talking about unit testing being like the the broad part of your 
testing suite when you're doing pyramid, right? Something that I've noticed, because that's, that's pretty much the standard as far as I've seen is most people are doing pyramid, at least in the systems that I work in as a backend engineer. Um, full stack now, but mostly back doing backend stuff. It's just always pyramid structure, right? But what I've noticed is a lack of distinguishment between when you are unit testing and when you're component testing. An example of this would be my team manages prices on products. So if hires want to post an ad, um, we maintain what products they can buy, which which turn into the ad. Like, does it have borders? Does it have branding? That kind of stuff. So those products are what my team manages and the prices for those products. And we have um, different ways of pricing these things, right? Uh, using AI and that kind of, kind of stuff. But we've also got just fallback scenarios, right? So we have some situations where we will fall back to some data that we maintain ourselves. Now, we want to ensure that at all times that price is X and that price won't change. So if someone accidentally changes the price or, I don't know, if for some reason we changed the structure of our code base and it was possible to be injected because it wasn't like a centrally stored piece of JSON. Um, so we have component tests, integration tests, I don't know what you want to call them, with that data, but they just look like unit tests. So for anyone who's familiar and comfortable with the testing pyramid, they would come into that particular unit test because it just looks like a unit test and assume, oh, they're not mocking the boundary and then just mock the data. But in that case, it's actually an integration. Like it's a component test. Integration test? It's an integration test. It's trying to test the integration with the data. That's that's kind of a difficult one to define, isn't it? Where, where's the boundary between what's an integration test and a component test? And especially if you start talking about React and UI because it's like, well, well, we have components. And it's like, so am I, is it a component test because I'm testing a component? Is it a component of software? Is it a module? Oh, no, not oh, JavaScript and modules now. Like, you know, all these terms can, can get a little bit confusing. So, okay, if we, if we break it down to the most basic thing, when, when we talk about what's, what is a unit test, how, how would we define what a unit test is? The boundary has to be completely mocked. In my, that's, I don't know if that's wrong, but to me, as soon as I see anything that's not mocked, it's not a unit test anymore. Okay, but because then you're integrating with something. Yeah, if you have an import that's not mocked, it's not a unit test. Okay, and that could be that import could just be an array of strings. Like there is something that you've imported that is not being mocked, so there's a boundary that's being crossed. That's my that's my opinion. But what then? What if? Yeah, because so I I always find that boundary between where is a unit and integration test. Like like I don't. Sometimes it's really hard to tell, and I find sometimes it's easier to just go straight into an integration test because it'll be testing all of your units anyway. Like for a page, if you're making just a React app, you know, website page, and you're mocking that, you know, the page data and then passing it in, but then testing all of the, you know, testing it as an integration, but you're mocking that. Given X data, when user does yeah. Y, then Z should happen? So would that be an would you call that an integration test or a unit test? I mean, I'm testing it as an integration of all these units together, but I'm still mocking that root, you know, data at the top. I think, I think uh, unit tests probably should have been named as isolated tests, mm -hmm. mm. like mm. where your code is so yeah. isolated that it kind of doesn't know about its dependency or dependence mm. in a way. And integration tests should have been like we're talking about boundaries, like should have been called boundary tests. Like, are you so? It's something that crosses a boundary. Then we're saying the now boundary. we're integrating. Yeah, as as a neighbor, I would not park in your parking spot, for example. So that <laughs> parking spot is where we integrate or align with our expectations. So testing the testing boundaries. that boundary. 
So we're saying like, okay, so we're neighbors. You've got a front lawn. I've got a front lawn. If I'm like mowing my lawn and testing the grass is the right height, we're like saying that's like an isolated unit test. But the second I cross that boundary to your property, you're like, well, we're, we're integration testing now. <laughs> like if I'm yeah. getting fuel for my mower from you, then yeah. <laughs> because you don't know what's on the other side. Um, so you, like mowing example again, you're mowing your lawn and you start deviating towards your neighbor's lawn which is now fake grass, and then your either lawnmower is going to be busted or your lawn mowing is just not needed on that side. Yeah, so we don't know what's going to happen. That's interesting. So, okay, so there's a term that I threw out before, black box testing, and that, I don't know if you've heard of it before. Has anyone here heard of black box testing? Yeah. I've heard the term. Just testing input-output, right? Maybe. Call a function. Do you want to uh, give us a definition there? Yeah. So black box testing started with analogy with like a black box that lives in airplanes. So the basic premise was that I don't need to know how something works. I just need to assert that it works the way I expect it to work. So back in the day, you would have like armies of testers, like people whose job... Armies? Yeah. Like Genghis Khan armies or what? Like so you, you would have testing departments. Uh-huh back in the day, and all they did was tested the software, but they had no clue how the software worked in a good way, so they would test it as users pretty much. Uh But sometimes they would get into scenarios that user probably wouldn't think about, like a 200 character first name. Like, I don't think. That's that's pretty edge casey right there. Yeah, but people would test to the limits to the black box, which is your software, and then not knowing the internal gives them have you seen that meme where like uh, uh, engineer builds it a certain way and mm. then you give it to the user mm-hmm. and then user mm-hmm. does something else with it? Like, I think the closest meme that I found was y- there was a knife and the uh, blacksmith thought the knife would be used to cut lemons, but they were using uh, cans, like tin food, <laughs> using the knife and it would bend. Oh, wow. <laughs> so so that, that's what would happen. Like, because the user didn't know the origins or like what kind of material goes into the knife. So they're going to use it however they feel it's usable. That was black box testing. And as you can imagine, went into like weird, strange places. So, But I suppose one really good advantage of that, and we're not talking about testing manually with people anymore. We're talking about, you know, using automated testing. If you're doing that and you're just testing the functionality of a system, especially when it becomes to backend, it's like that means that you can write all these tests and then once you're, you're like, yes, the behavior does what we expect it to do, the PMs are happy, the BAs are happy, then if we want to come along and refactor or upgrade a library, we don't have to change our tests, which sounds pretty sweet. Yeah, this, this is probably a newer take on black box testing. It's more like automated UAT almost. Like I want to set expectations on this software. I don't care how this works, but it needs to do what I expect. Even if you write it in Java, C Sharp, Node.js, whatever, it needs to work the same way. So you are free to replace the internal cuts of the application in any tech. But from my expectation standpoint, this is the test suite that should always be passing. And so where would that sort of testing, what, what, what part of the pyramid or diamond does that fit into? As you can imagine, like this stuff requires the entire system to be at least semi-functional. Otherwise, you'll just keep getting failures. Um, 
and coordinating it, data cleanup, data setup might be a bit more expensive. So I would still keep it at the top of the pyramid. If, if you had, if you didn't have enough time to implement like all these tests, unit tests, integration tests, end-to-end -end tests, what, what test would you pick if you, if you could only pick one? I think totally depending on the type of the application I now yeah. am copying out. But for example, if I was doing an API project and I have some kind of schema validation, input and output schema, which guarantees a certain thing, then I would probably leave that the schema abiding part leave it to the framework or the libraries and focus on the business logic and things like that. That could just be because I'm old school. Other flip way that I've seen some people do is they start with API tests first to ensure that their APIs are working as expected, which is exactly what I did using a framework mm -hmm. that made sure the build will fail if you don't uh, produce the right input or produce the right uh, output. Yeah, I, and I, I see that as, I feel like one of the big importance of a test and having tested code is that someone can go into the code, make changes, and if tests fail, you know you've broken something. Like the, the confidence of being able to work on a code base and not break things is a, a big, I feel like a really big benefit of, a, of, of testing. Um, not only just making sure the app works, but that developers can kind of code on it easier and, and modify tests as they kind of make changes. Yeah. But almost more importantly, the tests that will break will be very close to the thing that has changed and yes. incorrectly. Yep. It's like I like, um, we're talking about black box testing, and we do, they're called component tests, and I'm just going to throw around the words and just <laughs> ignore what everyone's <laughs> interpretation is. We call them component tests, and it is basically like a black box test, but it's just the API that's being tested, right? In the same way that it, it's it's just calling the endpoints and expecting, and it's asserting we will get these certain things back, they'll have mm -hmm. these prices, that kind of stuff. So really, if we had no unit tests inside, the major things that this that this API needs to do is covered. But when those component tests break, we have no idea where inside the system it's broken. And that's where like the uh -huh, thorough baseline of unit tests is adding the most value. So you have like yeah. these component tests so that even if someone breaks the unit tests, delete the unit test, we know that the we know that the core thing that the application is supposed to be doing to the for the customer is maintained. Yeah. But then you've got to sift through the actual in, in, individual unit tests to see where exactly something's gone wrong. I th yeah, I think that's a really good point because I was about to say, well, what's the point of the unit test if, if your integration or component testing is, is still... But yeah, I think that's a really good point. Like Speed and cost, I think, is, yeah. is one of the big ones because, you know, if we're talking about to do uh, a full end-to-end -end test, we have to spin up a new database, inject it with either production obfuscated data or test data, then run our, our our validations against that. It's like that that could be quite expensive. End to end test, yes. But what he was talking about was a black box testing. I assume your what you were testing might have been mocked or something, or were you actually? Yeah, we mocked all the APIs, yeah. all the database, and everything like that. So yep. it's it's only an integration in terms of like all the components that make up the API. Nothing right. outside of the API is being tested. So when I say black box, it's like it's it's black box in the sense that we're feeding input in, checking output, and not checking that anything specific was called. We're not checking how it interacted with anything. We're just saying, I give you A, I get B back. Um, but it's not actually black box because black box is like actually testing the the live system without mm. manipulating anything. Is it though? Would that, we... that was my understanding. The, the original definition did start with 
just end-to-end testing as if nothing is mocked, everything's live. Ah. And mm-hmm. that that was the original ex- expectation. Like we do things very differently now. So if definition, th- that's why I would say like, if we are talking about testing, uh, now we are starting to talking about value and the quality that you promise to the customer. A- and all these discussions during uh, like the early days of software development around pyramid or like what's faster, what's quicker. So just as an example, um, not too long ago, generating those or writing those end-to-end tests was really expensive because the entire system had to be up. And if it changes, you have to go back and change those end-to-end tests and everything. Now there are libraries and tools that record how you use a system. And then during your CI CD process or something like that, it just repeats as if you were using that system. Like so it's basically, it's genetic testing. Yeah. So basically, it generates code while you are clicking around in the application. Yep. So if the application changes, you just have to do that one more time. And most devs or most people are going to play with the system at one point or the other. So if the system changes, just replace it with a new one. So from writing software that was built to last, now we are writing more things that are easily replaceable. Same thing goes on with microservices. So you start with, say, Node.js, because that's what you have, right? And then you hit a limit where it just can't perform as well as you want. But now the good part is you know how people use it. You know how well it needs to perform. So now you can pick a technology which is more likely to give you that performance. So the tricky bit is, is it small enough to be replaced? Then you just replace it. Which I think leads me to something I always find interesting. Like, if you have testing that covers, say, this black box testing that tests the integration and makes sure everything's works, is that enough to then skip UAT? Could you could you build tests to have it integrate in the pipeline? If the pipeline passes, ship it. I mean, I've definitely seen that, and I've definitely done that in the past because you know our confidence is look, we have testing that covers our scenarios and we have synthetic tests outside in in our friend Datadog and and it's like so if something fails we will find out about it but I I think that one of the things isn't necessarily about how quickly we can build it or whether or not all the tests pass it's what's our time to recovery because if I break something right how quickly can I recover because if I say recovery time it's 24 hours then I want to be damn sure that this thing works before it goes out the door but if you say I can recover in 30 seconds or two minutes, it's like, well, I, I, don't, I don't really care if I break something because I can recover so quickly. Yeah, that, that's an important point. Um, I have friends that work at Raytheon and Boeing. Their software development starts or looks very different to what we do at C. Yeah, if you're building airplane software, I've got a friend who's <laughs> a, uh, aer- aeron- aeronautical, aerospace engineer. He does space shuttle stuff. He does like proper proper engineering like real real people engineering. real real people engineering <laughs> real yeah. engineering yeah um and and whenever we've talked about software stuff he's always just mind blown it's like we could not get away with that because we work in the web right where like we deploy an error maybe some users see it we mm. roll back we deploy again but if you work in ios or in android if you deploy an error that error exists for five years yeah wow. it, it exists <laughs> until the very last user gets off of that version of the yeah. software even web apps right like you have an error in facebook Versus you have an error in, say, Seek. Versus you have an error in your bank app where it's showing less money than it should. Yeah. Right? So every error also 
uh, looks different based on what kind of industry, what kind of software you're building. I mean, like just talking about the rocket thing, it, it, it blows my mind how like you could, be, oh, when are we shipping to production? Oh, in six years when mm. we build the freaking rocket? Yep. That's insane. Like we just click a button and it goes up in like th an hour maybe at most. Yeah, and the entire different end of the spectrum or other end of the spectrum would be what something like Seek does where we have a hinge that maybe, you know, this API might perform better than the other one. So we have something like uh, traffic toggling or feature toggling where you have a percentage of the traffic go towards like maybe newer code or buggy code. I treat that as testing as well because you're testing it in live waters or rough waters, however you want to see it. And that just is not possible in some industries. You can't say 20% of rockets. Yeah. <laughs> have issues with it. Yeah. <laughs> I had a software engineering professor during my master's, and he was one of the engineers that wrote code in a language called Ada. I don't know if, I've never programmed in it. No, nope, never heard of it. Old it's a robotics programming language. language. It's a robotics so language, isn't it? People didn't know what that language was okay, for yeah. back in the day <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because there weren't that many options. Um, so the the idea was to use that language for uh, trading systems back in the day and also um, aerospace and rocket <coughs> tech, tech and all that stuff. And, and he kept saying, you guys complicated too much. It's basically just a input process output if you start thinking or breaking problem into just these three things and chaining them together that's it you can put anything in the space any uh, any call that testing methodology the testing grape because you're the thinking about uh, <laughs> inputs and outputs it makes you it easier for you to write tests if you are sure about or making sure that this is the exact input that goes in the exact output that comes out writing tests for that kind of system chained together is kind of like um, building insurance for every part of that system. So if you're testing like one, he called it hypodiagram. So it's like a hierarchical diagram with just inputs, process outputs, and you just chain stuff together. And that's actually how he built a lot of things that went to air or wow. I mean, to me, that kind of sounds like how we're breaking it back down into like unit and component testing, right? Because if, if I think about the a unit test, I'm thinking about kind of the smallest piece of functionality that I can test. So down to a function, it's inputs and it's outputs. And then I can combine that together with in an integration test in that, you know, I'm calling, you know, another method which inherently calls six methods within it, right? And and I'm verifying that the small method does what it's meant to do, but then this larger method that has more business logic also does it. So I'm then I'm then kind of chaining those together, and then you know, I'd, I'd still consider them both unit tests per se, but some are a little bit chunkier than others. I think breaking code down into small testable chunks is is the way to go. I think that's what we've been trying to do with testing. Something is hard to test if it's not modular enough, or yep, make it smaller. Make it smaller. Make it smaller. I, I try to make everything as, as singular responsibility as possible because if it has one responsibility, it's usually very easy to test. It's, is there another topic? Uh, there was one question I had. I'm not sure if you had uh, any experience with it, but I find one thing that's difficult testing is like UI and regression testing of, of, yeah. of actual UI. Uh, how do you guys go about handling that? I think there are two parts to the UI testing. One part is, does this thing do as expected? 
course, the behavior. Right. Yeah. And the other part is the visual part of it. That's mm. right. Which, which is yeah. extremely difficult. So it might be working just the same way as yesterday. But as we all know and love CSS, things might have changed. Like something is on in the document, but in the wrong place. Can you center a div in, in CSS? I mean, that's like the, the, the thing, isn't it? The meme we go back to? We were just dealing with this the other day. Like, we have Braid. We have this whole component library that's supposed to make this stuff easy. And we're like, no, nope, got to do some custom stuff. And all we're trying to do is center a div. So th that's like a big place for future um, companies to help us with doing this kind of testing. There is one company called Percy.io. So basically what it's doing is while doing these end-to-end uh, -end tests, it will take screenshots of the application and using fancy words like AI and generative <laughs> mm. uh, image testing or something like that, they will compare images to see how much they have deviated. It's a bit like how you do snapshots for um, markup yep. and then make sure the two markups are the same or not. Hard to do if your class names are dynamic and things like that. But Percy.io or tools similar to that compare screenshots and kind of do this visual regression testing, which is pretty good. That's cool. right. And I, yeah, I was going to say, because we, we use kind of Storybook a little bit for that. And, and there are Storybook tools which can do screenshots and, and stuff like that. Um, but I do feel like at the moment it is a bit more of a manual, you know, take a look, does it, does it look good <laughs> sort of thing. Absolutely. And I think I would just like to throw in one more kind of testing, which is rare now, but very common in places where accuracy is very important and working with large data set. We shouldn't leave our data engineering friends out of this discussion. <laughs> it's called uh, property-based testing. So basically, if you have a function that takes two strings, it says, like, I'm going to try every possible string on the planet, given some restrictions, and force these into these two string inputs. And I will tell you which one of the string combinations breaks. And they, there are frameworks that, so you don't have to set up data for it. It just throws like a whole ton of strings at it. Wow. You can say it needs to match this regex, this, that, mm. whatever. But you don't have to set up that. So you basically say, saying, this is the property of input A. This is the property of input B. Throw everything that matches the property of these two inputs and tell me which one breaks. Wow. I mean, that's like you know, edge case testing to the nth degree right there. I'm trying to think about how they would use that in in data platform, like in a data-centric world where they don't really care about what it's doing. They just want to know if it's going to break, if the inputs are going to break something. Like some string combinations might break table. Yes, yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah, so if they're doing uh, language processing, for example, and they want to use this function to actually exclude things, I don't care if, for example, a text has bad words or something, and you can give it a list of bad words, and then it'll just try to uppercase something, lowercase something, change something with a dollar or something. And then if it still can't go past it, then can do things like that. That yeah. sounds like very expensive testing. That sounds like it. Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Wow. There's a lot of different testing out there. So, uh, you know, did we answer the question, you know, testing? What, what is it good for? I, I think so. I, I, I honestly think Rahul has like definitely been a, a really good speaker for this topic because I've certainly learned a lot. I think your input's been really, really useful here. Thank you. And all this comes from the great passion that our users should not suffer mm. because of our 
mistakes or bad quality. So anything that we could do to bake in quality in our software, we should try our best. It doesn't matter if it's a triangle, diamond, whatever. At the end of the day, someone's going to use our software. Let's not make their lives harder, but let's make it easier. Thanks for listening into Seek Bytes, a podcast for software engineers by software engineers. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you. <laughs>